e-cigs don't burn tobacco leaves, and they come in lots of flavors. That's what tobacco companies tell you. Here are three things tobacco companies don't say. One, many teens don't know their flavored e-cigs have nicotine. Two, nicotine is a poison that can rewire the teen brain. Three, 80% of kids who tried vaping did it because of the flavors. So even when it tastes like candy, nicotine is brain poison. Go to flavorshookkids.org for more. Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's largest mortgage lender. Let's talk credit card debt for a minute. If you feel you're carrying too much of it, you're not alone. The average household in the U.S. carries over $8,000 in credit card debt. Ready for some good news? With a cash-out refinance from Quicken Loans, you can quickly and easily put some of the equity in your home to good use by paying off a lot of that high-interest credit card debt. A great way to take cash out is with our 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. The rate today on our 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is 4.375%, APR 4.65%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN to learn how taking cash out with a 30-year fixed mortgage might be the right solution for you. And for a record nine years in a row, J.D. Power has ranked Quicken Loans highest in the nation in customer satisfaction for primary mortgage origination. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. For J.D. Power award information, visit jdpower.com. Rate subject to change. Pay 2.13% fee to receive this discounted rate. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Fellas, I'm ready to get up and do my thing. I want to get into it, man, you know. Like, I, you know I'm the man, don't you? Can I count it off? One, two, three, four. You're listening to the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibbony, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a Christian worldview. Transcend partisanship and political ideology with us as we seek true discipleship in the public square. This is the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibney, brought to you by the Ann Campaign and 4th District and the Crux and the Call. Uh, Justin, how are you doing this week? I'm doing well. Uh, had a good week. And as you as as usual, I should say, uh, we get plenty of material. There is always something happening in the public square in America to keep us uh, with plenty of, of stuff to talk about. So I'm really ready to get into it. Yeah, absolutely. I had... um. Great week last week was up at you. Este 16 de junio, vota por Guate. Infórmate en el 1580. Ingresa a tse.org.gt y sigue las redes sociales de TSE. Elecciones generales y al Parlamento Centroamericano 2019. Tribunal Supremo Electoral. Garantía de la voluntad popular. Hacelo por vos, vota por Guate. Pen uh, with a former colleague of mine, Marie Harf, who's co-teaching a class on a seminar on religion and foreign policy. And so it was great being up there and meeting all the students. And then I was down at uh, St. Petersburg Community College, and we have some church politics listener podcast listeners down at St. Petersburg and Clearwater. So shout out to those who are tuning in to yeah, this episode. I'm glad you brought that up because I was at Patrick Henry College uh, last week. Shout out to those folks out there. Had a good conversation and uh, really enjoyed it. Amazing. So, yeah, I mean, like you said, we have a lot to talk about. And I think we have some interesting topics this week. Uh, 
President Obama, uh, former President Obama, returned to Berlin. Berlin has been a place uh, that's been very good to the president. Folks might remember his 2008 uh, rally during the campaign there that really uh, set him up as someone who could operate on the global stage. Uh, He's returned several times since actually his first event. Uh, his first event, public event, international event after leaving office was in Germany uh, to to celebrate the 500-year uh, anniversary of the Reformation. And so uh, he returned again uh, this past week. And Justin, he had some interesting comments to make about rigidity among progressives. Now, this was an Obama Foundation event that was about promoting citizenship and civic activity among young people. And uh, he, he told these, you know, young kind of hyper-engaged folks that, that he, he's trying to push out to do more in the world and to, to be civically committed. He said, one of the things I do worry about sometimes among progressives in the United States maybe it's true here as well, is a certain kind of rigidity where we say, oh, I'm sorry, this is how it's going to be. The article goes on to explain that Obama lamented that Democrats sometimes create what's called a circular firing squad, where you start shooting at your allies because one of them is straying from purity on the issues. And then just finally, he said, when that happens, typically the overall effort and movement weakens. You can't set up a system in which you don't compromise on anything, but you also can't operate in a system where you compromise on everything, where everything's up for grabs. That requires a certain amount of internal reflection and deliberation. You know, it was really a powerful reminder of, you know, what was pretty unique about Obama and certainly uh, you know, he's saying this in the midst of a 2020 primary where I think he's he, he's he's worried that that style may be coming uh, coming out of fashion in the Democratic Party. The other quote I'll share is he said, uh, you have to recognize that the way we've structured democracy requires you to take into account people who don't agree with you. And that's something we talk about a lot on this podcast. Uh, but uh, again, Justin, uh, Obama seems to be worried it's going away. Are, are you? Uh, what do you? What do you kind of? What's your take on, on the president speaking out in this way? Well, I have to agree with him. You know, I like how he appealed to the essence of democracy with that quote that you said. Look, this is how democracy is set up. You have to account for people who disagree with you, and you're not going to get 100 of you what you want. I think that was a strong statement and it makes a lot of sense. And before I really get into it in depth, let me first say this. You know, I have a lot of friends and loved ones who are thoughtful and compassionate Republicans. Um, I am a Democrat because uh, I think and I still believe uh, that Democrats do a better job caring for the vulnerable. Right. That That's why I'm a Democrat. Um, right. But what President Obama said about ideological purity on the left is correct. Uh, I think he's right. Uh, That's been my experience uh, as a local and state level Democratic operative uh, with a more centered or traditional uh, view when it comes to social issues. There's not a lot of room for that view. And people make it very clear uh, that that's not a stance that is acceptable within the party. Um, If you don't keep up with the leftward progression kind of of this donor class, you'll know about it and and you could very well pay for it. Um, And and, and here's the crazy part about it. 
Michael, is that it could be a position that the party just adopted a few years ago. And you better adjust your value system to make way for it or you'll be you'll see that firing squad. So I have uh, witnessed some of that. And what tends to happen in, in, in my observation is this. Once somebody d- disagrees with the left wing of the party uh, on something like abortion, uh, you very quickly are identified as kind of a target. Right. And, and you'll see yourself. And we saw this with J- Dr. Jaha Howard and others. You'll see yourself very quickly be isolated. And, and what what happens mm-hmm. a lot of times is once you're isolated, they they usually isolate you because, you know, it's easier to attack individuals than institutions. So if you isolate an individual. Right. It's easy to isolate a a black Christian rather than the black church. Right. So they isolate right. you. They can cut you off from that that support network. Uh, which which, you know, makes you even more vulnerable. And then, as we saw, you get, you know, there's smear campaigns, there's ridicule, which is meant to polarize you to make it seem like you're someone who shouldn't who people shouldn't associate with. Right. It's all right. part of this isolation process. And that really goes on until you give in or, or uh, until you're kind of ruined to where you can't really be effective in the space. And to be honest, while I agree with uh, President Obama that it shouldn't happen. It's been very effective because it silences people, at least in the short term. You know, most people don't want to deal with this loud, obnoxious and somewhat painful pushback. So they just fade into obscurity or they just go along with it. And I think you you can tell because look at the major candidates, every major candidate for this, um, every, every major presidential candidate has moved to the left on almost every social issue. And it's no small wonder why senators like Tim Kaine uh, uh, have walked back almost all of his uh, substantive opposition to abortion. Right. Mm. That's not the only issue, but there's a reason why. There's a reason why there are no urban federal representatives that speak for the more centered or traditional constituents that they represent. That doesn't just that doesn't just happen out of nowhere. It happens by design. Uh, And and it's, it's important for us to realize that and and act on it. You know, to say that it's not effective, at least in the short term, again, would be uh, a lie because it has created what I call this coerced consensus. Um, Now, now the question is, in the long term, when you have this coerced consensus, how do you maintain it? Because you're either betting on the fact that people will continue to kind of run around scared or in the or in the long term, you have to up the ante up the ante which can put you in a very bad position and actually make you the kind of monster which you see your opposition as. Hmm. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting conversation. It needs to be folks need to push back. And it, I think it comes with, you know, the reason that it's so strong is it kind of comes with some of the sump assumptions of progressivism, you know, that eventually all the smart and non bigoted people will agree with them. And it's only a matter of time. And that's right. unfortunately just not true. So I think for Christians who are on the political left, you have to make sure that you're not jumping on the Democrat every trend that the Democratic Party is going through and that you have to have the fortitude and the courage to stand up and disagree with the party when necessary. Um, now, I wanted to say that, you know, you see, you do see some of the same ideological purity on the right. But with, oh, yeah. their, with their president, it's like, well, maybe not. You see it and then you don't because he can get away with it when it doesn't seem anybody else can. So certainly a lot of problems on the other side, too. But based on what Obama was saying, I think there's some uh, some credence to what he was getting at. Yeah, you know, I was just going to say, you know, this is the 
you know, rhino Republican in name only conversation. This is uh, what the Tea Party was doing in, in the party in the in the early uh, part of this decade. It's what you know sent John Boehner running for the hills, and then Paul Ryan. Uh, well, well, Paul Ryan was sent running by Trump a little bit too, but also by uh, uh, being sort of pushed to the far right and not being able to make any kind of compromise. So I do think we're seeing this, you know, across our politics. I agree with you with Trump. It's more of a a cult of personality than a cult of ideology. But, uh, you know, ask, uh, ask Jeff Flake, uh, uh, what, what the costs are of, of, you know, critiquing President Trump every now and then. And, you know, you could probably find him at his vacation home, uh, somewhere (laughs) in Arizona. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think this is, the, the the nature of our polit- politics right now, the people who are able to stand up against it, sort of as you alluded to, Justin, are those who uh, are able to find other institutional bases of support. Uh, sort of being an individual actor is just not going to be enough to be su- sustainable, to have a sustained run in politics. Uh, and for those who want to see a politics that has room for this, uh, just complaining isn't going to be enough. Just sort of uh, airing grievances isn't going to be enough. It requires you investing in institutions, too, that promote a different kind of politics. And so we're going to be talking a little bit later on the episode about uh, some of the ideas around that. But I, I do think it was really interesting uh, for President Obama to say what he did in Berlin. And, you know, just in the last thing I'll say is, you know, I, I noticed the president will say uh, things like this. And, you know, some of his uh, supporters, some who, you know, align themselves with him, will act like he never said it, (laughs) you know, will act like it it never happened and will only pick out, you know, when he's critiquing Republicans or when he's saying you got to be strident in a certain circumstance and they'll, they'll just completely leave out uh, this kind of statement, which is not new for Obama. It's something he's said for a long time and something that, you know, he's acted on imperfectly, but he's, he's acted on it. And so, you know, be, be wary for those who try and uh, put on the, the legacy of Obama uh, for themselves, take the Obama mantle, uh, but are pursuing a politics that has no room for disagreement, that doesn't seem to recognize that there's that there are people in this country that disagree uh, with your position on whatever issue, uh, and uh, uh, maybe, maybe check them, uh, or at least make sure that you're not uh, taking them at their word that they you know, are, are rightful heirs to the Obama man. Yeah, and I, I would just I would just end with this. I, I don't think Christians on the left and the right uh, should look at this and just blame others and finger point because we have, yeah. you know, some of this is on us. Some of this oh, is because yeah. we failed to push back because we thought the other side was so bad that we let our side get away with whatever they wanted to get away with. So let's oh. take responsibility for it. The other thing that I see, yeah. and we saw a lot of uh, well-intended folks who went into you know civic leadership or ran for office that were with us you know, on a lot of issues, and then they got there, and it's like they didn't maintain that. And so yeah. one of the things I say a lot is if you're going to really seriously get into this political conversation, 
you have to know what your principles are. It doesn't mean that you have the answer to every policy, but it knows it means exactly what the president said. What won't you compromise? And as a Christian, you have to come in and say what you won't compromise. You don't mm-hmm. want to be one of those people that says, hey, well, I stand here on abortion. But then when you get in two years later, now you're uh, for a late term abortion and every anything else that they bring to you. That happens more often than not to folks who are more traditional or centered on the left. Go in there knowing what you'll compromise and what you won't and be willing to walk away. It can't be as easy as now it looks like you might win the race. So they say, hey, you better take this position or we're going to pull support and you go along with it. You've got to you've got to have the, you know, the fortitude to stick in there, have the courage to say, I'm going to win the right way and be who I am or not at all. Well, absolutely. Let's take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to be talking about Chicago's newly elected mayor and some of the conversation surrounding her election. This is the Church Politics Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Church Politics Podcast. And Justin, you had, uh, we, we had an interesting thread from the Ann campaign on Twitter responding to this article, uh, this, this uh, uh, editorial from John Blake at CNN, where he referred to the terrible hypocrisy that got Chicago's first black lesbian mayor elected. That's the headline. He's referring to Lori Lightfoot, uh, who who won in a runoff election. And basically, the idea of this article is that because uh, African-Americans voted for uh, Lightfoot and many of them belong to churches that have traditional views on LGBT issues and on women, that this was an, an act of hypocrisy. Justin, why do you think that's not the case? And how should we be thinking about, uh, uh, about this kind of charge? The terrible hypocrisy of voting for someone who you might disagree with on an issue. <laughs> wow. A little dramatic, but look, you know, what I saw was, you know, you have a writer who it seems wanted to promote the church must change its views narrative. And we see that a lot. That's a very popular narrative. And I think people try to shoehorn it in wherever they can. Uh, So what we saw was a lot of broad generalizations uh, rushing to kind of half cock conclusions, even though it didn't fit this particular case. Right. But we, we, you know, we sort of saw it happen anyway. And it, it just seemed like and, and no offense, but this particular article just seemed like it was a little bit lazy and poorly sourced. Uh, could mm-hmm. we could I think they could have worked a little harder on it. So here, here's why I think that it wasn't the case. Number one, the writer didn't interview any of the, the traditional black preachers who he was criticizing. And there are plenty of them in the city of Chicago. So it shouldn't have been very hard to get at least one to interview. Instead, what he did was he speculated as to their motivations and their mm-hmm. convictions and how those convictions should be applied. He did talk to, I think, um, a modernist preacher, but no traditional black preachers who were the subject of what he was talking about. Now, as my man, Pastor Chris Butler, who's a Chicago pastor and he's part of our leadership council, said, he said, look, most black biblical Christians have never applied, you know, first Timothy three, the first Timothy three test 
uh, two political candidates, right? Hmm. There's one, there's one standard and test for people that may be in the pulpit and it's not the same right. standard and test, uh, for, for other folks. You know, we would hardly ever vote if we only voted for the saints. Uh, so, so the idea that that makes you a hypocrite because you don't apply the same standards to the pulpit that you apply in, in secular society just doesn't make a lot of sense. It's not even that, uh, sophisticated. Number two, um, the Ann campaign in over 50, and we've talked about this before, the Ann campaign in over 50 Chicago churches invited Lightfoot and all the other top candidates into a traditional black church, progressive Baptist church, uh, for the faith and politics forum, right? So they were invited to come meet and speak to uh, this community. Uh, Lightfoot came. Uh, everyone there was heard. Everyone there was treated with respect. Uh, and I thought mm. Lightfoot came off as knowledgeable and seemed very kind. But of course, that's not going to be mentioned in an article <laughs> where you just want to hammer the church. Right. You're not going to mention that she was invited in. Nobody treated her with disrespect. Everybody listened to her, gave her the same amount of time as everybody else, because it wasn't about any of the thing that things that the article is trying to claim uh, this was all about. So I, I think that's very important to point out. And again, something that no one took the time to mention. Uh, third, the writer didn't cite any polling data to support his conclusions. How does he right. know it was the black it was black churchgoers who supported her? He doesn't. It was only 30, it was only 30 percent turnout. Uh, and in, in those instances, a lot of times I found that white progressives actually tend to turn out more than black people turn out in those situations. So we, we don't know she may have had a lot of uh, support from the black church. She may not have. But that's when you write articles, you kind of want a basis to base such a conclusion on before you go there. We didn't have. Do it you? Here. Yeah, you <laughs> would think. You? Right. Yeah, what, what do you need that you for? Would think. And, and usually <laughs> CNN would have those standards. I don't know how they miss that, but sometimes the narrative is it seems is more important than the actual data. Right. Um, and then, and then I'll just say this: um, if some traditional uh, black churchgoers did support Lightfoot, shouldn't that be seen as a positive? Like, how do you turn right. that into a negative? To me, it's a sign for hope because it shows us that they put their disagreements aside and supported the person they found to be the most qualified. This is what John Anazu calls confident pluralism, not changing your deep held beliefs, but realizing yeah. that we have to live and work with other people who we disagree with. If she was the most qualified person, it's good that they voted for her. Even if they even if they disagree with her on an issue or two or disagree with the lifestyle, the fact that they could say, hey, you know, we think she's the best. It, it, it makes sense. It's not a bad thing. And you would think, especially from a progressive point of view, that it would be seen as a positive. It's it's certainly not hypocrisy. It's certainly not opportunism. Uh, the only reason that this would seem to be a negative if you're just stuck on forcing people to agree with you, which is not going to happen in, in anytime soon. So I think this type of uh, confident pluralism is a benefit and it's something that we should really be, uh, you know, we should really be encouraging. Right. And, you know, I want to pick on I don't know who who the author of this is. I uh, frankly, I never heard his name before. But, yeah, I mean, it does. It does go to this this idea that not only must we all agree on issues, but the fact that there are institutions that exist that don't agree that that that's a problem, no matter uh, how private they are, no matter uh, if they act differently in 
the public square than and have different rules for the public square than they do for their own community. Uh, the, the, the idea of, uh, of institutions that operate separate from general norms is just uh, distressing to some people. And I, I know this is a Obviously, this is a complicated and personal issue, but I was struck the same way that you were, Justin, that uh, that this was turned into a, a, a negative thing than a positive thing, that you had potentially churches and folks who uh, had a certain belief, but looked at the election and chose what they thought would be best for their city, uh, 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 considering uh, all the factors involved. Uh, and so, yeah, I'd urge folks not to get tripped up over the, this kind of bad argumentation that tries to make you feel a way about uh, feel a way about something. Um, you know, th- this this was an election that came to a runoff. People had two choices. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it's a it's a it's a beautiful thing when people are able to look at who's running and make the choice that's that's best for their city rather than, uh, you know, feeling like. Uh, they don't have anywhere to turn or feeling disempowered in the civic space. Exactly. And, and and again, voting for someone who doesn't share your faith or your convictions happens every single cycle. And it, yeah. it's not a violation of doctrine. Um, I, I know a lot of intelligent, well-read, compassionate pastors, young pastors in Chicago who have no intention on changing their convictions on the issue to fit secular, the secular progressive worldview, but will love their LGBT neighbor and will do all they can to support Lightfoot in doing what's right for the city. Uh, that's one yeah. thing I know. And again, we're not going to apply First Timothy three tests to political candidates. Uh, it just doesn't. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make any sense. Now, you know, one of the pastors interviewed did say this was this show that we were about relationships over doctrine, and I just think that's false. Christians do have to be about relationships, but not necessarily over doctrine. The doctrine is what tells us that we need to be about relationships, even with people that we disagree with. But it doesn't tell you that you have to agree with them. Uh, And so that's the difference. And, you know, again, there was a lot of poor exegesis. I mean, exegesis. There was a lot of just the same old arguments that you see over and over that are just misrepresentations of the conviction and misrepresentations of the Bible. You know, at one point it was like, Hey, only, you know, the the same thing, only, you know, old white men believe in stuff like this and they're agreeing with them. No, that's not like, just, just quit it. Right. Like people are, the people who are confident in their beliefs aren't going for that. And so let's have a real conversation on how we can move forward because people aren't, you know, people aren't going to change those convictions. How can we move forward and work together? And I think this was an excellent example of how that could happen. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Lightfoot's, uh, uh, you know, once she gets into office, you know, how, how things go there and, and the kind of story that's told in Chicago. But uh, I completely agree with you on this one, Justin. All right, we're going to take a final break. When we get back, we're going to talk about an interesting idea for a third political party. This is the Church Politics Podcast.
All right, Justin, we're back. This is the Church Politics Podcast. And the last topic we wanted to discuss on uh, this week's episode was a tweet from David Brooks that got, you know, like so many of his tweets, people are just always uh, jumping, ready to uh, ready to troll. But he tweeted out, if somebody wants to start a new political party, they should make it economically left and culturally right. That's the big unserved group in America right now. And uh, he linked to an article in the American Conservative about Pete Seeger's conservative socialism. You know, this really comes out of uh, reflection on uh, and a conversation around Howard Schultz's independent run, where Schultz is basically running as someone who's exactly the opposite, kind of right economically and culturally left. Uh, which seems to be a space a lot of elites are in, uh, folks in uh, big business, uh, folks, you know, in urban centers and, uh, you know, uh, are, are a part of, um, uh, you know, a socially liberal culture. It seems to them, hey, why can't we get our money and have sort of our uh, libertine sort of uh, a libertarian sort of approach to social issues? David Brooks help, helpfully points out that not a whole lot of Americans are in that position. There was a uh, sort of a famous uh, uh, graph uh, that that a political scientist put out uh, uh, last year, I believe, that showed you know the four quadrants of American politics, and it, it's uh, actually the economically right and culturally left quadrant of American politics. Uh, is, is pretty empty. It's, as Brooks noted, this quadrant of economically left and culturally right, where there's there's a significant group of voters. Now, of course, remember, economically left and culturally left is generally covered by the Democratic Party. Economically right and culturally right is generally covered by, uh, by Republicans. And so, you know, uh, there are only two quadrants uh, available for a new political party. So much of the energy and conversation uh, seems to be behind trying to find out a way to make an economically right, conservative and culturally liberal uh, figure or party work. But uh, I haven't seen that opportunity in my time in politics. Just in what about you? Do you think that there's a viable, uh, you know, con- uh, constituency of voters that um, that could support a economically left, culturally right candidacy or, or third party? Oh, the voters are there. Um, the voters are certainly there. Now, the question is whether they are organized enough or they can be galvanized right in the right way to make it happen. As you and I both know, third parties are very tough to to pull off. And it may not even have to be a third party, just kind of the right coalition. So I think the voters are there. Getting them together and having the right message is a lot tougher because you do have the other two parties who aren't just going to sit there and watch you do it. Right. And they have certain ways of keeping people from coming together in that way. But if this party were viable, if it could happen. If it was thoughtful on race, that's one thing I would add to it. I would join it immediate immediately. Uh, no questions, because that's that's pretty much where I'm at. Like a lot of people that I know, you know, my Christian values make me, you know, more culturally center right on a lot of issues and uh, conservative on, on a few issues. And I'm not af- afraid to say that uh, that's a bad word in some spaces, but I'm conservative on some issues, but definitely center right on a lot of them. Cultural issues, not all of them. 
Um, and then also one of the things I've seen, and you might have noticed this, too, is since the 2008 economic collapse, a lot of people have been more centered left on economics, uh, especially when you're talking about young people who are being crushed by student loans. You know, our consumer capital, this consumer capitalism isn't working out for a lot of people uh, the way that we, we like to think it was. Now, for me, I tend to be uh, for a well or at least smartly rec- regulated capitalism uh, with, you know, a healthy safety net and an active government that handles things like infrastructure well. Um, and I'm seeing a lot more people, even some of my Republican friends who are cl- getting closer to that space just because you see so many people who are being left out of the economy as it is. And so there's a huge opportunity for somebody to jump on that. The hard part is it's hard to get. So, for instance, if you were to, you know, in certain circles, if you're on Twitter, there's no there's no way that you would see that there's a huge group of people who are center right on social issues. It just doesn't appear to be that way. If you're watching a certain station, it just doesn't appear that to be that way because you do have this somewhat coerced consensus, but it's there. You know, very few people when it comes to social issues or cultural issues consider themselves liberal. Uh, I think it's about maybe a quarter of the, the population. Uh, but until those people start speaking up, until those people start organizing themselves, it's going to be really tough to pull off. Now, our friends at the Solidarity Party are giving it a go uh, and have a platform that looks a lot like the one Brooks mentioned. Um, and I would love to see them pull it off uh, because the options that we have right now are pretty bad. And so you can go check out the Solidarity Party. Again, it's a tough go, but it's good to see some people trying to do something different because we certainly need to fill some gaps that the two parties are leaving wide open. Yeah, it's certainly better than just checking out of the system, you know, being an independent, being happy that, you know, you're the only one, you know, in the country that has the right policy views. Right. Uh, I, I, I agree with you on the Solidarity Party, you know, because of the historic, you know, durability uh, the two-party system, I've kind of felt like the, the best shot is bringing, working within the parties to bring them closer to this kind of politics. But I think that there's such space for, especially among Christians, for, you know, a number of different approaches. And even if your approach is not the one that I think is most effective, uh, uh, you know, we, you know, we could root for each other. So, uh, you know, that's why at the end campaign, you know, we, we, uh, we urge on our friends at the Solidarity Party. We, are, we urge those on that are uh, working to support independent candidacies uh, that more closely reflect this kind of politics. And I think it's a, you know, it's a healthy thing so long as people are engaged, not just in sort of, uh, this politics of self-expression and self-affirmation, but actually engaging in institutions with other people uh, to help build the kind of politics that they they want to see. So I think that's a that's yeah. a good thing. And I would throw this in again, just because we talk about it so often and we kind of want to drive it home. Your identity shouldn't be in your party anyway. Right. So so if somebody's looking for a different way, a third way, you should encourage it because your identity should not be connected to your party. Your, your party should just be a tool or a mechanism you use to be about what Christians should be about anyway. Yeah, 100 percent. Well, Justin, uh, we covered a lot. You know, uh, 2020 continues 
We saw Tim Ryan jump in uh, this last week. We saw first quarter numbers come out with Bernie Sanders leading the pack, but Kamala Harris coming in uh, strong with really robust numbers. So that'll be something to watch. We'll see. We'll see more fundraising numbers come out. Uh, soon as campaigns uh, uh, decide when they'll release it. And then, of course, you know, as we talked about last week, uh, a lot of folks are expecting Vice President Biden, a former Vice President Biden, to jump in 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 the next uh, several weeks here. Uh, And so 2020 moves full steam ahead. Uh, We also saw uh, the Mueller report, you know, pick up. So uh, there was a leak from within Mueller's camp uh, that suggested that Attorney General Barr kind of undersold uh, the seriousness of uh, the Mueller report's implications for President Trump. And so that will be something to watch closely. And then just finally, uh, as we do sort of a lightning round, uh, uh, the Secretary for Department of Homeland Security uh, stepped down. A new acting secretary uh, is in place uh, as President Trump loses, you know, more of his cabinet. We now have uh, acting officials as chief of staff, as Homeland Security, as defense secretary. And so, you know, it's it's uh, uh, just, you know, 20 months away from uh, election day. Uh, President Trump has uh, has some administrative issues on his hand on his uh, on his hands. Uh, Justin, do you have uh, any other kind of news that you've been watching this week that uh, that folks should be paying attention to? Well, just generally, you know, you're hearing whispers that there could be another economic downturn coming. I think Warren Buffett has spoken on and others. You know, we pray that that doesn't happen, but certainly something to keep our eyes peeled and be vigilant about, because that's not what we need at this moment when people are just really some people just getting back on their feet. uh, Things are going well. I, I hope that we can prevent that. We'll have to see. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, maybe we'll uh, have to talk about that in in coming episodes. Well, folks, we're so excited about everything that's happening with the Church Politics Podcast. Can't announce uh, it yet, but we have some ex- exciting guests coming on in future weeks. Uh, we feel like there's a rhythm. Uh, this community is growing. We're getting more downloads every week. And it's just such a joy to be able to do this podcast for y'all as we head into uh, a, a season that's going to be really intense and where uh, we think the Christian voice in this political moment it has to be grounded, has to be faithful. And if we do those things, and we'll be able to be a blessing uh, on our nation and on our communities. And so we thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing this podcast. Uh, would again urge you to uh, leave an iTunes review so that folks can know that you you are listening and appreciate this podcast and uh, continue to check out the crux and the call and the and and campaign dot org uh, where you could learn more about our work. Justin, any any closing words? Yeah, that was good. I mean, you all that are listening to this show are part of this and campaign movement. Uh, We want you to be part of it. And so uh, you can help us out by, you know, sharing all this stuff with your friends, sharing the podcast, sharing the civic updates, sharing the websites, making sure, you know, folks at your church know about uh, what we're talking about. A lot of Christians get very excited because they don't know something like the and campaign exists. And we only have so much uh, we only have so many resources. And so you can be very helpful in helping us out, making sure that you leave a comment, 
uh, that you, you know, rate the show, things of that nature. And if you like the content, support it. You know, don't be afraid to contribute because, again, you are a part of this. And if you want to be and part of the and campaign and maybe even join one of our uh, chapters, you can reach us at engage and We would love to get you involved. Have a great week. Thanks, y'all. This is the groove. Tell me, I'm scolding the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave. I'm unchained. I'm Frederick Douglass with a You'll do it right to grow the best garden you can. Lowe's does it right, too, with savings on miracle Grow potting mix with fertilizer to help you get growing. And grow plants twice as big versus unfed plants. Pick up a 50-quart bag now for just $10. Plus, get Bonnie 2.32-quart vegetables and herbs, three for $10. For a garden that's worthy of showing off, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 6-5 while supplies last U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Come to the Home Depot this month, and you'll learn a thing or two. Actually, three, with three free do-it-yourself workshops. Learn how to grow an edible raised garden bed, how to build a catch-all nightstand organizer, even how to install wall tile. See, it's never too late to learn something new. Register today at homedepot.com workshops for a free do-it-yourself workshop near you. Only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing.